I'm going to fake injuries so you have to do the podcast by yourself. <laughs> what kind of injury could you fake? I don't know, like like mouth injury. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> throat injury. Dear Jeff, I've had throat injury. <laughs> Yes, not exactly. Nothing like evinces verisimilitude, like the phrase throat injury. It's like, oh, yes, surely that happened. It did. I had throat injury. Citizens, welcome to Drock. It's our monthly read-through of the Judge Dredd case files. And uh, I feel like there's more explanatory text that I should be, but there, you know, this is like episode four, so you should totally know the score by now. We're coming to you live from Susan Anton Block, and it is I, Jeff Lester, uh, your intrepid uh, mouth babbler, and with me is... Your fellow mouth babbler, Greg <laughs> McMillan. Hi, everyone. I'm going to do the other bump. We are reading through Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, volumes one through whenever it ends by the time we catch up there we are on volume four as jeff said because this is episode four and so we're covering material from progs 156 through 207 yes which is from 1980 through 1981 it's a full year's worth of progs jeff yes. and i don't know if you're counting it's 53 episodes Oof. wow do you know why that is? why is that oh because the christmas one issue in there mm-hmm. no there's one issue in there that had two Judge Dredd stories in it. Holy shit. Wow. I did not notice that. And that is that is amazing. Do you know what which issue? Yep. Uh, oh, I don't know what issue, but I can tell you what the stories are. Oh, okay. It was the Fink Part 3 mm-hmm. and Knock at the Door appeared in the same issue. Mm, okay. That makes, that makes sense because one of them, I guess it is Knock at the Door. I remember reading it. And it practically looks like a Judge Dredd coloring book in terms of right. its layouts. Right. It, it apparently was a last-minute fill-in for another strip that didn't get ready in time. Wow. And, and honestly, when you know that, it you become much more forgiving to that story, which is suboptimal, I think, is, is a good way of, of describing it, huh. if you don't know that. Jeff, I have a particular thing about this volume, and I want to run it past you before we go any further. Okay. I, I will press it just by saying... I think this is a really fun volume. I think the stories in this are really good. I think it's a very enjoyable book. Mm-hmm. However, did you have a lot of deja vu in this? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, was, there was a lot of deja vu in it. And honestly, I got to tell you, whereas our previous volume just kind of flew right by, this one sort of reminded me of volume two, where it seemed much more sloggy like i would yes much more of a stop start yeah it's, it's you know it's funny you say that about volume two because volume two was the mega epic mm-hmm. volume remember that we had the cursed earth and then the day the law died yep and, and you know maybe four other stories at the end yeah and this volume starts with the judge child quest which is 26 parts yep and then you have a lot of short stories after that. You have, mm-hmm. well, I guess that would be 27 short stories after that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And some of those are multi-part stories. For example, you get Pirates of the Black Atlantic in there. Yeah. You get Fink in there. And they're both four parts each. Mm-hmm. But but the Judge Child quest is is 26 parts. Mm-hmm. And like The Cursed Earth, I think. And, and it very much is like The Cursed Earth for me. Like The Cursed Earth is not a, like a through line of it. It's not a 26-part story. No. As much as like it's a it's there's a framework much like the Luna One stories in, in the first volume. Mm-hmm. It, there's a framework that get judge gets Judge Dredd out of Mega City One. Right. There's a MacGuffin that gets him out of Mega City One, and, and that is fulfilled by Part Twenty Six. But you have what are essentially you know fill-in stories in between. Yeah, you know where it's like while I'm on the the trail of this MacGuffin. I happened across this entirely separate story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened a bunch. So that that adds, I think, to the to the choppiness and also to the, the drudgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, so Judge Quest for me feels very much like a cover version of the Cursed Earth, mm-hmm. and and to my mind, I prefer it to the Cursed Earth, mm-hmm. but they feel very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get multiple stories in the the short stories that feel like you know revisiting earlier plots or, mm-hmm. or revisiting earlier ideas or just more or less telling the same story again yeah yeah which is really kind of weird this is you know where 2008 starts in 77 judge Dredd starts in the second issue of it mm-hmm. you know we're now in 80 and 81 so 2008 has been around for like three and a half years right um Dread's been around for three and a half years, and three and a half years of continuous publication, continuous weekly publication. Yes, right. and this is the this is the volume where it feels like that. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know there are specific things that happen here, not just the repetition, but you get stories that are sequels to earlier stories. Mm-hmm. You get stories that actually feature flashback scenes or or, or plot synopses of earlier stories. Yeah, um, for the first time. You know, you get uh, in the the after the Judge Child quest, uh, the the dread superiors essentially sit in judgment of him. Did he do a good job? And as part of this, the chief judge is like, "Let me give you a like three panel flashback yes. to the day the lot died." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's another story. Is it the Auto Sump story, where you get like a recap to the original Auto Sump story? That's right. It's really interesting to see dread has now been around long enough. That there's a continuity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there, you you get flashbacks, you get callbacks, mm-hmm. um, but you also get repetition because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, there, Auto Sump reappears in this in this volume, and I, I think a fun story. Mm-hmm. But he first appeared in the Sob Story serial, mm-hmm. and you get the 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 um, story in here about the people confessing to crimes, which to all intents and purposes is a cover version of the, the sub story. Yes. Serial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's a lot of that here where you're like, I, I have read this before. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it, there, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in, in volume four for me. And like you said, that sort of weird cover band thing is an is an element of of that. Um, you you were talking about the the reprises, so to speak. I'm really amused slash surprised that there's no less than two stories in this volume in which a a motorized vehicle get, sort of gains sent, sentience and turns homicidal. 
You yes. know what I mean? Like, and but, but again, both of those are retreads of the Robots Gone Wild stories of Volume One. Well, the Robots Gone Wild story, and then that super the the you know the racing car or whatever that has the sentience of a spoiled child or whatever the the four parter that gets and it turns all the rest of them sentient you know it's like a bigger bigger version where it's like the evil the evil sentient car you know and here it's done on and what's weird is how much it's done because it's done twice here one where it's a lawmaster bike and one where it's the i've got can you remember what's called the mini mac or the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Megaway Madness, at, with the idea, which seems like a great idea, of like this big sort of mega tanker refilling thing goes on a rampage. And what's amazing to me is both of those stories, I think, are one parters that wrap up in like seven pages. Mm-hmm. Like, and so to me, there's a certain amount of like judge. Judge Dredd is such a fascinating comic for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that is amazing is that frequency is it's stunning that it was that it it, that it's still going today. But particularly at that that framework, like three, three and a half years in, they're just, you know, the phrase isn't great, but they're burning through so much content that it doesn't surprise me really that every once in a while they're like, oh, right, I kind of had this um, idea for a riff. Like one of the, th- you know, almost as if the shit, what are we going to do this week? Remember when we were talking about like having that, that when we did the car that goes evil story, we joked about the idea of what happened if one of the lawmasters went evil. Let's have the lawmaster go evil for this one, you know? And actually, I have a, very loose uh, theory about volume four because volume four has a lot of thematic consistency to it in a way Mm -hmm. about some Mm -hmm. weird, about some weird atypical, not the sort of thing you would normally see in a, in in a superhero comic. Oh, okay. So talk about this because I think I know where you're going. Okay. (laughs) I'll be interesting because that would shock us all. So there's a lot in volume four that revolves around, for lack of a better term, I think, uh, free will and whether or not we actually, how much free will we actually have. And the tension in that is kind of mirrored by more or less how quote unquote good is judge dread you know so the story particularly with the the lawmaster story is you know the bike goes on a rampage and is gunning everyone down and at the end dread is able to target you know the fuel tank and shoot it and it explodes and the people who have almost died on this freeway there's the last panel is someone just an astounding last panel isn't it is pulling himself up off uh the edge of an embankment where he's almost fallen to his death and he says like oh thank god that the judges are here he says he said you did it you're a brave man judge dread what will we do without you judges to protect us and he says that while like he is alive yep and the shot is him holding on just underneath dread's knees yeah and you see through the through Dread's legs, 
literally a pile of corpses. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally a pile of corpses. And the thing that's insane is dreads back is fully to us. Like in a way yes. that is, there, yeah, there's no, there's no dread. Yeah. At all. It's, it's shocking, you know, and it really is very much this idea of like it, it comes, you know, it comes after a story where everyone has been killed by, you know, one of the tools of the judges. And at the end, someone's like, oh, thank God you were here. He would not have been in danger if not for. Um, the yeah. And so this is kind of where all 20 some odd parts of the Judge Child story goes as well is Judge Child and Judge Dredd are these weird mirror versions of each other. And at the end, Judge Child kills someone and literally protects the character, that person from being killed by Judge Dredd just so he can kill him himself. And, mm-hmm. and and we should say like that's not subtext. He he explicitly says that. Yeah. He explicitly says that he has saved his life purely so he can kill him. Yeah, exactly. And in the end, of course, Dread is like, You're you're evil, you know? And and he was like, I just killed him, you would have killed him the same. And Dread says, I spent many years training to make such decisions. For me it was justice, for you it was murder. And then, and and what what's amazing is he's more or less saying like, you know, there's a larger thing which is justice. But what goes on? What the very end of the Judge Child quest? And I apologize if we're if I'm jumping too far ahead here. We'll definitely jump back into it. Is is that Dread has been tasked with bringing back Judge Child, and they go through all these trials and travails, and a lot of people actually suffer, and one of the judges dies in a horrible way that may or may not be Judge Dredd's way of punishing him for not shaving his mustache, and ultimately, at the end of it, Dredd's like, no, that kid's evil, we can't bring him back, and... More or less after telling Judge Child that he does not have, he can't essentially just act on his emotions and that's murder, Dredd himself literally acts on his emotions. And mm-hmm. um, so the the idea going throughout is, is throughout the Judge Child series is Dredd is tasked with bringing back Judge Child because what the judges on his, his deathbed, one of the greatest judge precogs, sees this judge child and insists that he has to be brought back to Mega City One because he is going to essentially save the city in a time of great disaster. There's a lot of hand wringing about how accurate this prophecy could be, but the judge society decides that it's close enough. So Dread is tasked with trying to to go out into the cursed earth and retrieve Judge Child. Child gets kidnapped, taken off planet. So the very next stage is Judge Dread in space with a team of judges, and some of the shit they encounter is amazingly uh, nightmarish. Um, and and as they go through encountering these things, they end up encountering people who have encountered Judge Child as well as before Earth. And one of the things that ends up being consistent in Judge Child's character is the truth that he has 
told about people's future is essentially he, these... he's a living monkey's paw. Yeah, it's he'll it's... tell you your 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 future, but in doing so, he is also dooming you. Yeah, because it's almost always a doom and a bad outcome. But weirdly enough, because it it as someone points out, it's precisely because Judge Child has given them the bad outcomes that makes them uh makes them happen. So Dredd starts talking about whether or not the child is Judge Child is evil. And in fact at toward the end of the series, at certain points, uh Judge Child literally appears to Dredd in a vision and they debate it. And and Judge Child says, like, don't be so quick to judge. Like, there's evil in all of us. There's even evil in you. And Dredd's response to that is this wonderfully ambiguous, like, I'm going to let that slide for now. Um, and but but sort of what? So the weird part is is that what I started thinking about it was when it sort of first more or less gets approached that Judge Child is dooming people by giving them these uh, prophecies of their future that end up like just by nature of him uttering the 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 prophecy it more or less dooms them um there's a certain amount of like well how does how does free will play into this like if judge child is choosing to give them a possible future and a possible outcome then it's quote unquote evil but if judge child just sees what happens and reports it aware that his reporting of it is part of what makes it happen, he may not feel that he has any choice. If you see what I'm saying, in other words, sure. But, but I think the, the implication of Wagner and I, you know, I could be wrong. I'm definitely reading into uh, authorial intent here. Right. I think the implication is that by telling them that, mm-hmm. Owen, judge, like Owen Chrysler, the judge child, is yeah. is making the choice. Yes, and his, he is consistently choosing to be cruel. Well, and that he, makes him evil. He so, does say that. He does admit it. Like you're right. It. But, it but, I end but, up looking I closely think, enough. Yeah. Like I, I think that you know you can argue that everyone else doesn't have free will beyond that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, but the only character who has free will in the Judge Child, well, the only two characters who have free will in the Judge Child story, are are Owen, mm-hmm. the Judge Child himself, and Dread, and and arguably, like that's not true. Arguably, earlier in the story, other characters have free will. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, the first place they go is it like they're slave traders mm-hmm. because they go to to find. The judge child in in the cursed earth where where they think he is and he's missing and it's because like his town has been slaughtered and slave traders have taken him away and the slave trader pharaoh like f-a-r-o but he's a pharaoh yes of course um <laughs> like is is using him is using his powers mm-hmm. to enrich himself and and one of the things about the judge child story is they they ramp up how evil Owen is mm-hmm. like Owen speaks relatively early on in the story, but seems very passive. And mm-hmm. he's asking questions that once you finish the story and you reread it, 
mm-hmm. you can definitely see in the, the, the monkey's paw type way. Yeah. But also could be read as just like simple questions. Mm-hmm. You know, have, have the judges come? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is you know, in one reading, very bland. Like in another reading, it, he's purposely provoking everyone around him. Right. Have they come to do something? Right. You know, and and they wrap it up like he, the, the, Owen becomes more evil all throughout the story to the point where, you know, by the time you get to the Jigsaw Man storyline, mm-hmm. you have a character explicitly say for the first time he's evil, mm-hmm. and then it's the time you see him, he is like clearly unambiguously evil. Mm-hmm. You know, years before dreads in in a dream, and it's like ha ha ha, I'm telepathic and evil. You know, and then the next time you see him after that, he's he's taunting the angel gang and, and basically forcing them to their death. Early in the story, you can argue like Pharaoh has more free will mm-hmm. you know, because Pharaoh, you know, made the decision to use Owen in that way, mm-hmm. or you know, the for example, like the it, it's it maybe it doesn't fall under free will, but like the the planet that eats them in space, yeah, right, you know. That's because this happens again in this, as in the cursors. Like that is essentially an entirely disconnected story from everything else. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is no judge child in there at all. Mm-hmm. The judge child in there comes from they're in space because they're chasing after him. So you know that there, there's that element of it. I, I totally get what you're seeing, mm-hmm. uh, what you're saying, and I think it's something that plays into this because you get other things in this book where things are more supernatural mm-hmm. than in other dread stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd say for this volume, like you had the side division mm-hmm. and you had judge death, mm-hmm. but everything else was pretty grounded, right? Yeah, it's right. only like it's machines and right. it's people committing crimes and that's the end of it. Right, and then Judge Child comes along, and you're like, okay, so we're dealing with psychics, and we're dealing with you know, magic things, mm-hmm. you know, and and things get more uh, grandiose, and dealing with is there free will, you know, mm-hmm. is is there destiny, mm-hmm. and and like you said, you know, the entire Judge Child storyline is based upon someone having a vision. Mm-hmm. And saying only this one person can save the, the city, only this one person can save the world, right? Um, which in itself plays into the free will aspect, mm-hmm. right? Like because Judge Faye, again, Faye pun, I get it. Because Judge Faye says this, mm-hmm. does that strip everyone of free will, right? Well, so so there's, I think there's at the very least there there are two separate ways that you can make the argument that people do not have free will. And what I find, think interesting is the idea that Judge Child storyline covers in a way both of them. Because the first way is the the idea that if everything is predetermined, then we are not free. Like we are following the route that is set out. And so someone like Judge Child can see what's going to happen, but you know, again, it's that idea of it sort of that's kind of an, an old school style of understanding fate and destiny. We get more into what I think of as a relatively recent, although it probably isn't sort of quantum theory of um, 
destiny with the idea of like there's many possible outcomes there's branching sort of realities and that ultimately is where judge child ends up falling on the predestination spectrum he's like i he openly says i steered these people to an outcome a possible future where things would turn out badly for them and then he says kind of like and what's wrong with that you know, yeah. and this is actually kind of where the second part of free will deniers step in that essentially who who we are is such a product of our experiences and this the the world in which we exist and take place that although we feel like we quote unquote have free will we really don't we have what our character is and what it makes us is means that we only do more or less what makes sense to us but what makes yeah, sense yeah, to us is constructed outside of us right yes so, and and so you get you get a lot of that in this volume i mean the, exactly. the knock on the door story yes that you know we're talking about before is a wonderful example of this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you get one of the judges essentially say, like, you know, a man that runs is a guilty man, is the quote. Right. You know, and then proceeds to to try and uh, it, 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 torture, like it's explicitly mm -hmm. called torture in the story, that out of, of, mm -hmm. of the man. Right. And, and that's, that feels like, A, the judges aren't allowing that man free will, mm -hmm. but also that the judges don't have free will. Yes. Do you right. know what I mean? And this this ties into one of the things that I find fascinating about this volume, mm -hmm. which is both in that story and in the Judge Child story, and honestly in, in a number of stories in this volume, mm -hmm. Dread stands in opposition to Manifest Destiny, mm. or to Destiny at least, mm -hmm. right? Dread is the one who decides, no, this kid is evil. I'm not bringing him back. Right. Dread is the one who says, torture is wrong. We're not doing that. Right. And, but still gets the guy. Like mm -hmm. the, the punchline of the story is right. the, the judge who tortures is, is, is himself punished. And Dread is like, yeah, but this guy's still guilty. He's right. not wrong. Yeah. But I'm going to do something else to get there. And, and throughout the entire book, you get Dread being himself such a force of nature. Mm -hmm. That other forces of nature bend around him. Right. I talked before about Dread is now three and a half years old as a strip, and it's got a continuity. It's got a. Uh, it, it's got the ability to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. But it's also built up Dread's mythology as a character within the series. Mm -hmm. So where Dread is a force of nature, where, where other things bend to Dread's will. Right. The the the, the story that immediately follows Judge Child Quest is. The Council of Five going, Dread failed in his mission. Yeah. Should he be punished? Right. And more people than not say, yes, he should. He failed in his mission. Mm -hmm. And the chief judge essentially is like, no, but he's Judge Dread. Therefore, he's above reproach. Yeah. You know, and Dread, meanwhile, is shown throughout the entire story as not giving a shit. And why should he give a shit? Because everyone knows at this point. The dread is above everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so so it's funny. I I see it that way, but I also see it a little bit differently. Which is, 
uh, again, by tying into some concepts about human nature and how human nature ties in with quote unquote nature. Like, and a perfect example of that is uh, that block war story, which is the one that follows that follows uh, the judge child quest. Cause essentially a huge fight breaks out between these two blocks. People are dying. They're gunning each other down and dread along with everyone else is uh, all the other judges are called down to stop it. And dread basically stops this wholesale slaughter by making things so unbelievably dangerous that no one can like poke their head out to shoot at their neighbor without getting killed themselves. And then while they're all more or less hiding from the firestorm, dread comes, you know, gets a big ass megaphone and is like, okay, everyone who turns themselves in now will only get, you know, whatever it is. And if you don't, and I find out you're going to get double and you see the citizens in there, more or less being like, oh, oh, fuck, like we should turn ourselves in. And someone's like, no, how's he going to know? And and one of them says, like, it's Judge Dredd. He always knows. And mm-hmm. you cut back to literally the chief judge talking about that in the Judge Cal flashback and saying because because what's happened is the other judges have said, like, it was wrong for uh, Dredd to basically abandon the not finish the quest not bring back judge child we should send out the quest someone out to get child again and have dread resign and 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 one of the judges who who is putting forth this idea is basically it's the what is it the reed that bends the reed that doesn't bend in the wind is the reed that broke hilariously Right, Magruder, who will, who will herself later become chief judge, mm. says uh, Dredd's a good judge. But I'm not denying that, but he's too rigid in his ideas. Right, this is a changing age. We must change with it. A reed that won't bend and the wind will always break. Right. So, of course, the chief judge points out that if if Dredd had bent at that point, Mega City One wouldn't exist. And it's that it is kind of a weird considering all the choices that dread goes on to make, which I only vaguely know in just a general smear. It's the same character that, that essentially saves them all during judge Cal does in various ways end up also dooming, you know, huge parts of mega city one. And it's very much that idea of like, it's the same person like mega city one wouldn't be there to, to when, you know, various nightmare disaster apocalypses happen. Like it, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for dread saving them from Cal. But on the other hand, it's also his. And again, it's almost like hubris, like hubris is this weird thing that we, that I feel is kind we kind of misunderstand, you know, like, the conception of hubris has a lot to do with this idea of like, oh, this person was quote unquote proud and therefore the gods like punish them. But mm-hmm. honestly, I feel like the hubris thing is more of a deeper attempt to kind of talk about this weird thing about human nature, which is kind of along the lines of the things that make you strong are the things that can will undo you, you know, the weird bind of human nature that makes 
heroes and villains like essentially the same characters or even have one person become the other one and they're still recognizably them the the weird curse that i feel that judge child is specifically saying to judge dread like it's 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 literally child and dread c and d but like you know child is saying like we're all evil even you and dread is again dread doesn't deny it and and one of the things that I really adore about the the conclusion of the Judge Child series, but also the stuff going through here, is one of the biggest and smartest things that I feel that that um, Wagner and Wagner and Grant end up doing with Dread is they never fully tie off the character. You know what I mean? Like people come to their conclusions about Dread. Dread clearly has his own very strong feelings about himself, but mm-hmm. whether or not the creator, the, the great thing is, is the creators have ambivalence about Dread, And that ambivalence yes. really does tie into some of the larger questions about human nature, you know, like whether or not we have free will is a very strong, how do I put it, prerequisite for arguing whether or not people should be punished for their crimes. Like if they really honestly have control over their actions or not, you know, and child is, and again, there's a weird thing going on with the judge child story in that judge child is again, presented as evil, specifically dread specifically calls him out as evil. But one of the things that I think helps is everyone that judge child kills with maybe the exception of poor Kenneth, who's told that he's going to be strangled to death in like 35 minutes or whatever. Everyone else is more or less deserves it, which is exactly. Yeah, exactly the same modus that dread himself is operating on. And so when it comes down to child being like, you know, why can I do this? And you can't dreads argument is basically I've been made into a machine. Like, and this comes up in a couple of different places. I'm a machine. And what I am is a machine that's perfectly calibrated to make decisions over what's right and wrong. You know, they talk about his superb training and his reflex, everything. Well, well, that's that's just it. So the the two episodes after Mm -hmm. Dredd is, you know, there is evil in all of us, even you, says the judge child. And Dredd's response is, I'll let that pass for the moment. Mm -hmm. Two episodes later, you get Dredd beating up a gang. And the captions are 15 years of iron discipline, rigid Mm self-control, concentrated aggression. Yeah. Exactly. By the time a judge hits the streets, he's no longer a man. He is a machine. Again, it's not subtext. It's actually it's text. actual text. So at that point, like kind of what they're saying is this weird argument that is itself a second argument as to why we don't have free will. You know what I mean? Like dread, like everyone else that he encounters is the product of his environment. You know, except he's got the super strong will, which is sort of an important thing. But, um, you know, the way in which that's framed, like you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a justification. And you think about it a little bit and you're like, 
that's again another weird denial of of free will and i feel like some of the stuff that goes on in the stories that are here is there's a lot of every once in a while there's something that pops up that is a strange little version of either you know the judges are bad um you know with the the great three-parter that ends things the graffiti war stories um really does end up taking that even further because you do get um the story of chopper slash marlin shakespeare a youth who is explicitly presented as going nowhere and having no opportunities and so his turn to graffiti we see it all in uh, a a positive light of self you know by doing this thing he is teaching himself things he's learning things he's being crafty and resourceful and yet he's also again both a product of his environment and a villain based purely on kind of how dread and the culture sees him so there's it's it was interesting to me how much that ran throughout this book and like it was hard. It it really felt more apparent to me on a second read through. I don't really think that it was particularly like, you know, deliberate or consistent, but I do think that there's a very consistent view of dread in this book and the way that it ties down to a certain, uh, um, just I guess an un, an an unwillingness to commit to such matters as free will and 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 weirdly how that plays into um you know a reoccurring serialized character is is pretty interesting you know mm-hmm. it, it it it's it's weird I it's one thing I wanted to say like before we go any further is you know there's the dread as a machine part in the judge child yeah and then later in the book there's the uh there's a story that ends saying with a caption saying a judge should have no deep deep rooted fears no terrors that haunt him 15 years training should see to that of course some judges are only human and then there's a shot of dread and it goes others aren't yes right yeah so 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 this is stuff that's present in the again in the text Mm mm-hmm Right. Mm-hmm. There's a subtext. There is a subtext of this running throughout this volume in particular. Mm-hmm. This volume is a really strange in terms of the the themes that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the free will was not where I was going when I was like, I know where you're going. I'm right there <laughs> with you. Not in the slightest. No. Right. Um, what I got, especially in like a second or third read of this, mm-hmm. is. This is the volume for me where they just take on like consumer culture, mm-hmm. like in a much more direct way than they have before. Mm-hmm. And repeatedly, mm-hmm. you know, you get the auto sump uh, commercials mm-hmm. or the auto sump storyline in general, mm-hmm. you know, which has the great punchline as well that only rich people can afford to be ugly. Yes. You know, right. Um, but even before that, in the Judge Child's Quest, there's the, the, the sort of mini story within there where they end up on the planet where there is televised war. Yes, right? Which is I, itself I, a reprise of an earlier Dread story. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. But but you get, like, you, they really focus in on the, like, the advertisements, the commodification of mm-hmm. war, the mm-hmm. commodification of life. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, also in the Judge Child story, there's the story where the judges get shrunk down and sold, like putting a, a salesman suitcase. Yes. Which is, by the way, I think the first Judge Dredd story I wrote, read as it was coming out. Oh, wow. I have like a crazily strong sense memory of that. Like reading it in my aunt's house when I was a kid. Wow. Um, and it's one page in particular that I was just like, oh, God, shit. Yeah. Um, but no, there you, there is like a really strong and repeated sort of um, push that, interestingly enough, I wonder how much of it is Wagner, how much of it is Grant, who is, who's on the, the series by this point. Yeah. Grant appears midway through the Judge Child's uh, story. Right. Because um, Grant feels much more, maybe not anarchic, mm-hmm. but, but much more willing to sort of uh, speak out about the problems of, of consumer society mm-hmm. in, in his other work. And I wonder how much of that is him here. Or maybe this is Wagner and like Grant then picks it up from him. Right. But but there is very much a, a, a push against... Uh, you know the the what is the situation of slogan the the culture of spectacle is that mm. is that what it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, that, that seems like that again runs through all this book and and the chopper three part of the ends the story the book mm-hmm. feels really fits in there as well right because mm-hmm. again chopper is the character rejecting all of this mm-hmm. rejecting all like th- there's a lot to chew on in this book for all that there is like reruns and repeats yes and sequels. Mm-hmm. It feels as though the the underlying texture of the series is getting is getting more tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's it is it's interesting to me how much it changes in a weird way. Like, because uh, from my understanding, doing a quick tr- flip through on Throw Power Overload, uh, Grant comes in apparently to moves moves from being editor. At 2000 AD or an editor to 2000 AD to co-writing the the Dread stories uh, right around uh, episode part 22 of the Judge Child stuff. So it's relatively close to the end because it wraps up in 26. But 22 to me is um, – do you know who Sergio Corbucci is? I have no idea. Okay, Sergio Corbucci is a notoriously nihilistic director of spaghetti westerns. He's an Italian director, and so he did stuff like uh, uh, Django. Um, but like this, his real bread and butter, at least among reputation, is his particularly uh, brutal spaghetti westerns like The Great Silence. And The Great Silence is kind of a classic, um, you know, in the sense of it is. Uh, spaghetti westerns have a tendency to run pretty grim and dark in their humor anyway but Corbucci who like in Django like shows someone like cutting the ear off a priest um, you know and ends up getting that that film like uh, censored banned from like Britain for like 20 years or something in the great silence he goes on to to tell a story about a mining I think it's a mining village that's being oppressed by an evil gang that's right you know the the Pa Angel and his boys are really spaghetti western villains 101 yes which which I love them like I, I do yeah. actually want to come back to, to some of the characters yeah. introduced in this book we should yeah definitely uh, and they uh they are just you know just unrepentant bastards and 
and in the great silence, oh God, I can't even remember who the who the guy is who who plays the main gunfighter. He's a, he's a man who's I think taken a vow of silence until he has uh, gotten vengeance for the death of a loved one that, of course, was at the hands of these guys. And it ends up being pretty bleak. Like he, at the end of the at the end of the movie, he more or less loses and gets killed, and everyone else dies in a horrible, horrible, painful way. And weirdly enough, I gotta say, episode twenty two through twenty seven on is very much. It, if we had talked, we talked about the cursed earth as being very much a western. You know, and what I think is interesting is the Judge Child story to me is very much a spaghetti Western. Like it's florid. It's almost a parody, but there's also a core of nihilism and a real dark appetite for violence, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. very committed to showing man's inhumanity to man that really plays out starting in. Uh, chapter 22 like so you've got dread who is joe dread right he's isn't that right he's joe yes, and yeah. his brother's rico yeah. joe dread ends up meeting joe blind who is a character who um old joe blind who's a guy who shows up in part 22 he's been tortured so brutally by the angel gang that he is now blind. In fact, he's riding a horse and his horse is blind. And he more or less shows up like Dread is trying to get a lead on the Angel Gang, having finally tracked them down to the planet of Xanadu. And he starts throwing money all over the place to try and get the creeps to come out and tell him where the Angel Gang is. And in fact, even though that's a, he makes a big production out of it and it's the end of one part of the Prague, the next Prague is Joe Blind showing up and it's not for the money. It's because of vengeance. Joe Blind is very much the, the exaggerated cartoonish version of Clint Eastwood in, you know, High Plains Drifter or the character in The Great Silence. He's essentially someone who was tortured by the bad guys and now he's back to bank them pay. Even though he is blind, he can sense where the angel family is. And and he even makes like one of his comments is like one of the all time great like spaghetti Western dialogue, you know, uh, is it that I've got too much hates one. Uh, it's the, oh God, why can't I find it? It It's the wonderful, hate is my eyes, Joe, Judge Dredd, and now you'll be my gun. And that's just like, that would be He also be says, I got too much hate to die before the last two angels fall. Yes. Which I genuinely love as a line of dialogue. Right, exactly. Like stuff on that that is just insane. But, but you know, and really kind of like, um, how do I put it? Like really ballsy in its in in the fact that it can be florid and also that it's sort of um it's really brutal yeah, like it's really for all for mm-hmm. all that there is like the that's the other weird schizophrenic thing about this volume when it gets back to make city one you get a lot of light um i don't want to say childlike but like child-friendly strips Right, kinda, yeah. I, I guess I, I, I really think you do. I think you get a lot of like, you know, oh no, this robot's out of control, or like, there's a fucking Walter 
strip in there. Yeah, but the Walter no. story almost seems like more of an anomaly to me. It really does. And also, it, it's like, it, it, I can't remember what, what the Walter story follows, but like it follows a particularly brutal one. Yeah. So I remember being like, that's the weirdest like discrepancy between the two. Yeah. But, um, but the Judge Child stuff really does get not just like brutal and violent, but also really surreal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the planet that eats people yeah. is really strange. Yeah. Or the the Black Bob episode, like the alien episode where, you know, Dredd's like, also Dredd dies in the Judge Child storyline. Yes, right, which Actually is Actually dies and mm-hmm. gets brought back to life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's this, it's so much weirder and, and uh, I don't want to say more adult because I feel like that's a loaded term, mm-hmm. but... You know, I was five years old when these comics were being published. Good Christ. And, like, I part of me is like, did I, how much of this did I get? Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. How much of this, like, weirdly fucked me up? Yeah. Yeah. No, I kind of get it. I mean, I can't even imagine when you're talking about, like, reading, if you were reading The Salesman at, at age five, like, it's it's admittedly kind of like a Judge Dredd version of most of the Richard Matheson scripts that he wrote for like Twilight Zone and television. But at the same time, it's, it's really creepy. The design of the salesman is fucking brilliant by how much it looks like, you know, sort of an African witch doctor spider God, you know, and that's, Ron Smith does some really good design work in this book. Oh, my God. Some of the designs in here are amazing. Oh, so let me circle back really quickly. The one thing I do want to point out is, so you've got Joe, Joe, Joe Blind, you know, and he's, he recruits Judge Dredd. And like I said, he's kind of like the guy in a spaghetti Western who would be getting the instrument of his vengeance, right? Except what really, again, takes it more dark is... He helps Dredd track down the Angel Boys, and they more or less separate the two of them, and Joe Blind immediately begins getting tortured again. Like, the whole thing that Spaghetti Westerns pre-Corbucci sort of put together, the idea that, oh, you get vengeance and then you make those bastards pay, like... As Spaghetti Westerns go on, there's more of a, like, isn't vengeance actually hollow and awful and just fucks people up? And here you very much see it, where Joe Blind is presented as he's going to get his revenge because he's got all this hate. But all he literally does is show up and get tortured brutally more. Like, every time he and Dredd get separated, he's more or less set upon and begins screaming. And it's... it's deeply um kind of a spit in the eye to you know sort of the even even within the traditional um you know getting the revenge on the bad guys which is sort of an exploitation move 101 Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it allows you to then you get the revenge on the bad guys the wronged hero gets to is more or less justified in doing whatever he wants to do and not only do you have a storyline in which Judge Dredd tells Judge Child, like, you do not have the right to do whatever you want to do, but you get a character like Joe Blind, who instead of being rewarded for his hate and his desire to seek vengeance, just ultimately more or less gets tortured. You know, he ends up helping, I guess, but at horrific cost to himself. Um so there's a weird darkness, like in the Otto Sump stories, 
like it's very um it's very easy to look at i don't know who the the um the english equivalent is uh but it's very it's very like when basil wolverton is like on mad magazine slash the comic like ken there's reed. a lot of uh, ken ken reed is the, is the creator okay. who is honestly like all ages basil wolverton and it was a british like a really successful iconic like influential comic creator okay because it makes sense like all of a sudden there's i mean there's always been a tendency and dread towards grotesquery but it gets really grotesque and really dark but you get auto sump and all of the you know like they're clearly having the time of their life like coming up with all the advertisements for things that make you disgusting and all the ways that you can look hideous and between that and the pug ugly and the bugly story there's so much um visual like caricature that's just shoots right over into the past path of grotesquerie and i should say in the auto sump story there's i think it's the auto sump story there's literally a scene where like uh somebody's running through a hospital bumps a patient and they fly out the window and someone's like well he was going to into surgery but now he's going to the mortuary and it's like that's the whole thing like that is such a weirdly dark throwaway gag like the throwaway gags are are literally like people dying horrific deaths for no reason and mm -hmm. and so it's it's a really weirdly uh Morality wise, this volume of Judge Dredd just seems to careen wildly from one extreme to the next, where it's like, <laughs> on the one hand, there's clearly the indignation about the essentially the ridiculousness of human response to the possibility of nuclear war when you have the Bob Oppenheimer block be blown yes. up by a nuclear warhead mm -hmm. while people are meeting on the roof, having a nuclear safety meeting, which is, I mean, you know, and yet weirdly enough, it just ends up being like, it's that happens while, you know, in, in progs that are titled things like terminal skank and atomic skank, you know, or like ocean skanking, you know, it's weirdly somehow like, the closest I can think of it is is that it 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 really feels like hanging out with a talented alcoholic, you know, where it's like <laughs> things are funny and then they're depressing as shit and then they swing back to being funny. But there is such an undercurrent of nihilism, like maybe there's some decency under there, but it's it, but it's also buried under so much cynicism about human nature so that's okay so that's the thing it is an exceptionally cynical uh an exceptionally cynical comedy mm -hmm. right because even during the judge child thing which i think is the is arguably the darkest this volume gets with the exception of the pirates of the black atlantic story mm -hmm. um which again pirates of black atlantic includes part of Megasoda 1 just getting nuked yeah. and turning out to be a, a plot by the Soviets. And in response, the Soviets are threatened, realize they can't start a war, and so nuke themselves. Right. Right. Apologize. Yeah. Which, again, 
comedy, but really dark comedy. Yeah. Um, but everything else is fairly like comedic question mark. Mm-hmm. But it is such a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my like in my notes, I kept on just be writing like you know morality question mark. Yeah, right. <laughs> because it's it's you get we we've discussed in previous episodes that Wagner views Mega City One as essentially like a city of idiots at a time when everything is criminalized. So they're a city of lawbreakers, right? But it, this is the volume I think. And and a knock on the door really crystallizes this, I think, mm-hmm. where you realize that that's true, but also the judges are are morally absent, right? And part of that is dread has to be again exceptional, right? Mm-hmm. Dread has something to stand against, and therefore he has to stand against the judges to some extent. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the strip could be called like Judge Who or Rabbins to show up this week, right? But you are left with, you know, Dredd continually stands in opposition to them. Mm-hmm. He can stop a block war with his voice as opposed to the other plans. He makes the decision not to bring the judge child back, which everyone else disagrees with, because he goes, this child is evil. Yep. Like, there is an evil. I'm not going to let evil into my city. Mm-hmm. Um, he he stands up to the judge who tortures. You know, there there are the continually jet, dread going, no, no, this is too far. This is the line. Mm-hmm. But everyone else crosses the line. Everyone else crosses the line. Well, but even how do I put it? And like dread crosses the crosses exactly. The line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, you you but, mentioned. Um, oh, sorry. I'll I'll let you continue and then. I'll no, I was going to say like you know in the in the judge child quest as you said like Lopez get Lopez dies when he uses the Oracle Spice. Yeah. Which you know, side note, Oracle Spice is the strangest. Uh, Deus Ex Machina that it comes it literally comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. like all of a sudden everyone's like we need the Oracle Spice and you're like the what you've never mentioned this before yeah well, Dread gets killed for the Oracle Spice and then gets brought back to life for the Oracle Spice and you're like what is this shit right. um, but Lopez dies through using the Oracle Spice yep. and Dread is not bothered right. like he's so not bothered that Hershey outright accuses him yeah of, of basically, like, you know, you set him up to die. Yep. All because you didn't like his fucking facial hair. Right. You know? So, again, Dread is crossing that line as well. Well, and this is the one of the things that is so amazing to me about the Judge Child storyline, you know, uh, among the various things that are, are kind of awesome about it, is when Dread pops into space, you start off with this you know, Bolin drawn, beautiful, like, you know, spaceship and all the characters are introduced and you get to see the three judges that are traveling with uh, Dread, Hershey, Larder and Lopez. And Lopez has that mustache. And throughout the storyline, you especially once they're in space, you get to see, you know, excerpts from Dread's diary. And the very first page is him being like, you know, seems like a good crow, except for Lopez. I don't approve of the facial hair, right? And he's like thinking I'm going to say something to him. And what's weird, what's wonderful is how little it does not get underlined. But Dread clearly ends up having a, a passive-aggressive off 
with Lopez. You know, Mm -hmm. he says like Lopez is being weirdly obstinate about his facial hair. I've told him to like, you know, he starts giving him shit work. He makes him like clean the ship out, the ship engines out multiple times. And at a certain part, you see Lopez start to crack under this. And he's like, why is this guy torturing me? It's all because of my facial hair, which then leads to the hilarious when he takes the Oracle spice and he's having these horrible hallucinations. He sees the necromancer from the previous chapter, which is sort of this almighty version, you know, sort of the omnipotent Star Trek villain in space as like this bug eyed reptile guy, but he's got a mustache. You know, and yeah, I do love that. I genuinely love that. Like this frog is like, hi, I have a mustache and I'm talking to you. Yes. And I mean, it's so funny. But the other hand of it is there, there, this, the story creators, the, you know, Wagner and Grant and or Grant really do plant the seeds that dread does not like him at all. And the fact that he turns around and says, because when Hershey's like, you you killed him. Why couldn't you, as head of the as, of the um, expedition, why didn't you take the spice? And Dredd was like, it wouldn't have done anything. It it only affects. And he says something like, like the 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 sensitive, unstable types. And it's like Lopez is not shown as sensitive or unstable until Dredd starts picking on him for his mustache. So it's uh, it's. It's really prof- – it's kind of amazing. And again, the thing that's great is is that it's just not resolved. Like I feel like anyone else would kind of tip their hand one way or the other. But there's ways in which Dread is clearly – like you said, he is he is the line. He is the measure between, you know – chaos essentially and order and his eye is always right at least compared to everyone else but if you look at him closely enough and the comic at least so far never really lets you see that you never see underneath that mask you know his helmet you never really see who's underneath there and and so you really don't necessarily know if dread is quote unquote, good or bad. And, and weirdly enough, I feel like Wagner frames it in kind of this larger context of, you know, well, you know, essentially variations on does, does good, does good and to have good and evil, do you have to have free will? And kind of weirdly behind that to me is the meta of, if you have a continuing character, clearly they're going to, you know, quote unquote, do the right thing. But like, you know, a reoccurring serialized character, how much free will do they really have? You know? Right. Um, Exactly. And so it's, it's kind of a weirdly, a deeply chewy experience, even at the same time as part of what makes it chewy is the frustration that there's no real resolution to it. And you're more or less given, um, contradictory views on it from more or less the same creators. So, um, so I do feel like weirdly it ends up getting, getting much darker and yet weirdly because it's Wagner, I guess because Wagner and Grant are now working together. Um, 
so closely, they're also clearly trying to make one another laugh. So it gets weirdly funny even as it gets bleaker. And in a way, it gets funnier because of how much bleaker it gets, which is... Yeah, it's, it, it's the balance. The tonal balance of Dread is such a strange thing. Yeah, it's really genuinely odd, isn't it? I just can't... I'm hard-pressed to think of anything like it. Certainly not anything that could continue for as long as as just even the four volumes that we've gotten so far, much less what's going to end up following it. You know? Well, what what's strange, and I, you know, I, I kind of want to say this and then move on to, to other things about the book. Right. But the, this volume and the tone, you know, this really strange tone, specifically of what follows the Judge Child quest in this book, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. shorter stories, the, you know, as we said, like, you know, kind of comedic and but also unsettling and mm-hmm. yet like funnier because it's unsettling and kid friendly yet very much not kid friendly right um i feel this tone is the tone that continues in drive for like the next four or five years mm-hmm. you know i i feel like honestly all the way through the the um wagner and grant partnership mm-hmm. which goes in terms of volumes all the way up through volume i think 11 of this series wow we've hit a very specific kind of thing where you're maybe you're right maybe it is that the two of them are trying to entertain each other and make each other laugh mm-hmm. but you know we're you, there will be obviously like plunges to one extreme or the other mm-hmm. uh, you know the apocalypse war which is coming up is is really drops the comedy to a great extent mm-hmm. and understandably so it's it's a nuclear war story right but even then like you know there's 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 you'll see this next time we do it, Jeff. There's a nuclear war that destroys, a, you know, a lot of people. Right. And I want to say it's the first story afterwards. Mm-hmm. There is one of the crassest jokes in Judge Dredd history about it. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. We're, we're like, the lesson of nuclear war is to get your retaliation in first. Right, right. Yeah, it's this weird thing that just like... With this volume, as weird as it is in terms of like the the actual content of the stories, mm-hmm. I feel like we've sort of landed on not the final form of dread, obviously, but like the longest, the the most successful form of dread, and the one that's going to stay around right for for uh, an extended period of time for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, volumes one through three are learning what dread is. Mm-hmm. Volume four is decided that yeah and i think it's interesting because you you and i had talked about how it to me i felt like two volume two is uh you know wagner more or less getting taking taking the crown for judge dread you know from pat mills and more or less being like okay and this is what we're going to do with it and the third year is really mega city one sort of coming to the fore and it's it's odd to me that 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 year four starts with them being like, okay, now we're going to leave Mega City One again. Um, but when they come back, it really seems like they're – and even when the lessons that they learn about how to handle Dread when they're away, um, when he's away from Mega City One, again ends up deepening and darkening 
Dredd's relationship with Mega City One when he returns. Like they are, and again, I really do feel like there's a little bit of the right Dredd. Everyone is a is a victim of their circumstances, you know, and and in a way, Dredd is strangely potentially the ultimate version of that which somehow makes him by so completely embracing his quote unquote destiny. It's what makes him capable of amazing things and also terrible things. And, and it is really amazing that you'll just sort of cruise along and every once in a while, it's going to be like, Oh, there's a terrible thing. Like, um, you know, you, you mentioned knock on the door, which I think is, is a good touchstone for that sort of incarnation of dread, but also in a weirdly more, I would argue kind of less successful way, but sort of more blatant, you get alone in a crowd, which is drawn in a beautiful, atypical by style. Young by young Steve Dillon. Yeah, young Steve Dillon trying to be, trying to really put on the the Boland chops and to an extent the Ron Smith chops. And it's 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 gorgeously illustrated, but it is, it is a really odd, the story more or less opens with uh, um, a gang of thugs um, harassing people on a slideway uh, on the way to work, and somebody's more or less being like, "Oh God, don't look, don't look, don't get involved." You know, we can't. It's like it'll just fuck you up. Why isn't this over? I've got to get out. I can't, can't risk, risk getting involved. And you see the repercussions of that, and of course, you're sort of like, "Oh, well, that you know." It seems like it's going to be you know a riff on that Kitty Genovese. Um, you know, apocryphal story of like, oh God, why can't people get involved? Like this person is, you know, it's like, oh, our inhumanity to ourselves is because of our indifference and our fear. But by the end of the story, you have Dread who is rounding up the thugs and more or less beating them brutally. And he gets on the slidewalk and it ends with another character who is, you know, a compatriot of the thugs being like, Oh God, don't look. It's the judges. They're here. They're beating this guy up. Oh my God. What did he do? Don't look, don't look. You'll just get involved. Like the story is this weird mirror episode where most of us in reality are trying to thread the needle between, you know, essentially uh, anarchic horrific shit and authoritarian horrific shit on each side. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it is kind of in a way it's fascinating by how as as frustrated as I am by the ambiguity in throughout the rest of the book, like this story, like I read it and I was like, oof, wow, that really kind of puts too fine a point on it. You know, like it's it's amazing to me how tight the the tight wire is that has to be walked to get kind of a successful judge dread story out of it. It's a me. I'm fat. I have to say, Graham, I am curious to see what we're going to be like a year from now. Cause I just can't imagine 
anyone else being able to write dread in this way like I, surely it has to be something that people have to can learn or mimic but it seems to me like you are just you know threading a needle with a camel's eye or whatever the hell that saying is you know? well he, but here's the thing to remember a year from now we are going to be in volume what 15 mm-hmm. and Wagner's still writing the book. Mm-hmm. Wagner's still writing then. I was trying like, to get to a year after they'd left, but yeah, yeah I exactly. Won't say, I won't say 50, volume 15 or 16 is probably going to be around it, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. uh, cause, uh, Garth Ennis comes on. Right. And it takes over as, as the primary dread writer for 2008. Uh, um, but, like, Wagner... Two things. One, Wagner has done it for so long that a lot of people basically try and do impressions of the Wagner they grew up with. Right. Greater or lesser extents. Mm-hmm. Two, Dread is a very different character by that point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and honestly, Dread is a very different strip by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the surprises, especially seeing Ennis take over, and more so when you get like other people like Mark Miller or Morrison doing right. it, they do like pastiches of what we're about to read. Mm. You know, like, you know, the early 80s material. Right. And Wagner has evolved Dread by that point. Right. And so it doesn't quite sit right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, it's still Dread, mm-hmm. but it's it's off enough mm-hmm. that you're like, okay, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is a little bit too glib. Morrison especially. Morrison essentially writes, when he writes Dread, he essentially writes Dread as like a a, a blockbuster movie hero. Mm-hmm. You know, or like, there'll be a bit of ultraviolence and then he'll have a catchphrase. Right, right. Uh, and that's not who Dread is. Mm-hmm. But like, that Dread fits in to this era much right. more than it does to like the mid-90s. Right. Um, because you'll see this. Shit happens to Dread as a character and as a strip. Uh, I'd argue that it happens more so after Grant leaves, mm-hmm. but definitely starts during the Wagner Grant era. Mm-hmm. That pushes him outside of his comfort zone and significantly changes the character in ways that are tiny, mm. but very important. Mm. Wow. So it's funny that you're like, you know, I don't know how anyone else is going to write it. Mm-hmm. Part of it is not that successfully, but also part of that is because Wagner changes the game. Mm. You know, I mean, think about it. You've read much more recent Dread. Mm-hmm. You know, you've read 2008 a few years ago. Right. That's a very different strip from this. That's right. a very different character as well. well. Okay. Uh, yes, I agree. But I also want to say that part of. Hmm. Part of it is there's there's going to be a threshold or uh, whatever else you want, whatever other generic analogy, a Rubicon that is crossed where Judge Dredd, the strip becomes essentially a beloved institution like 2000 AD sort of becomes a beloved institution. And so there's less of a uh, how do I put it like at that point, it's kind of. There's an under there's a point where you where it's understood like, oh, you don't always have to move the ball forward with dread. But of course, sometimes the ball does get moved forward with dread. 
but one of the things that is its charm is I feel in current modern day 2000 AD is knowing where and when you can move that ball. One of the things that we talked about in volume three is talking about Eisner's The Spirit, which I felt was far less of a presence or influence in this. Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, I can think of one story in this that I would liken to a spirit story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, maybe, you know, but generally, I'm curious which one? I uh, wonder if we both say one. Um, we probably don't because I'm like, yes, I know there's one in there, but I would have to look through and see if I could figure out which For one me, it's, it is. For me, it's the, the Bugly story. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, that was my first guess as well. It, but but kind of not yeah i don't know i'm very i'm very up because cuz honestly i feel like if i eisner had done the bugly story you would have gotten more characterization of either the poor slob who replaces pug ugly or you would have gotten more characterization kind of of pug ugly like it's a yeah, yeah. no i agree so it's kind of like part of me is like i want to say that it's it, it's more the magical realism of mm -hmm. you know he gets the vocal cords and that means he can identify the, the vocal cord donor's murderer from beyond the grave right like exactly. that that feels very eisner spirit right whereas it to me i think in a way the alone in a crowd is in some ways eisner-ish because it is it's it starts off it's got mirrored openings and closings and there's kind of a contrast and dread sort of moves in and out of the story. Like he's, he's an agent in the story, but the story yeah. is about the larger currents that he's, he's involved in, but, but it's not necessarily what we had in volume three, where it was like, Oh, Hey, here's the story of a character and how they make their way in a wacky, insane world. And, you know, and then there's a giant guy coming in slugging people, you know. So yeah, yeah. so anyway, so volume three I feel is not is not very is three is Eisner ish, four is not. Um but like I said, I feel like there's still gotta be a point like what 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 do you do with a problem like Judge Dredd? And uh and and I feel like by at some point someone solves the problem but one of the things I find fascinating is seeing how much like, like seeing how far uh, Wagner and Wagner and Grant take the character, seeing how people try and sort of move the ball back, how probably someone tries to overcompensate and move it too far forward and how eventually there becomes a kind of agreement or understanding and maybe i'm wrong maybe that doesn't happen maybe by the time because wagner and grant are on the character for so long by the time you have people who step in they're like you know 15 years of weekly material lays a shitload of groundwork yeah you know? yeah and honestly i think that's it i really yeah. do so you know but but at least now in 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 volume four it was it's kind of like i'm like this is uh it was a it was a really weird reading experience um it was it was very strange like i said at the start like the 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 repetition the mm -hmm. the, the deja vu throughout the whole thing of yeah. like i feel like i've I, i'm not like i have literally read these stories before like i said right. like i was reading stories when they came out i've read 
this volume many times. Yep. But reading it in the context of what's earlier, there was a sense of discovery in one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And in four, that sense of discovery is really, really much less present. Yeah. And it feels much more like refining a formula to the point where some of the stories feel formulaic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. You know, and, and that's that makes for a strange thing. Despite that, though, I want to talk about the characters who get introduced here. Yes, please. Um, the Angel Gang are amazing. Mm-hmm. The Angel Gang are wonderful villains. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm actually including the Fink in that as well. Yes. You know, the, the Fink is... So the Angel Gang are the Angel Brothers. They are essentially like hillbilly stereotypes who also happen to be like one of them as a cyborg who has a dial on his head and a, a claw for an arm. Yeah. And if you dial like... you. How the dial decides how angry he is. Yes, you know, which is such a great gimmick. Mean Machine is such a fun character, and the Fink, mm-hmm. when he comes along later, is like the abandoned brother mm-hmm. who is like mutated and 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 feral because he was buried in the ground because he was too nice. Mm-hmm. You know, is is such a great character. The, the villains in this, oh, and the Judge Child as well. I think mm-hmm. fits into this. Like are are memorable in a way that has not been the case in earlier uh, volumes. Mm-hmm. Like even Judge Cal isn't as memorable to me as as like Mean Machine or or the Fink or 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 Pat Angel for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know they they seem more interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you get weirdly enough. Two future chief judges introduced in this book. Mm-hmm. You get Hershey and you get Magruder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as if they're laying the groundwork mm-hmm. in this book for that to happen. But it's funny to me that in growing the the universe of Dread's characters, of Dread's stories, mm-hmm. we're also reaching the point, you know, I talked before about reaching the point of a continuity where you get flashbacks to earlier episodes. Right. We're reaching the point of a supporting cast who are recurring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see Hershey again. We'll see Magruder again. Right. And we've kind of had that, like we've got Giant. Mm-hmm. Giant's been around for, for a couple of volumes. Right. But he's pretty much it. Like Walter or Maria were the supporting characters before. Uh, but they fit less like when walter comes back in this volume yes he doesn't fit mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because again they're they're refining what dread is and so seeing hershey appear for the first time yeah or seeing magruder appear for the first time or, or even chief judge silver mm-hmm. here there is a sense of like um the the judges the, the judge system becoming uh not a real world location per se, but like a believable one mm-hmm. in a way that hasn't been before. Right. Well, I, I think that that oh, I it it plays to your point, I think, a little bit of the the idea that dread in, in order to make dread himself be more of an individual, he's gotta have more individuals to interact with. And I feel making those other characters be the judges um allows for a lot more framework of either of of, of casting dreads 
as more of an individual. Like, you know, yeah. he's either doing something that that all the other judges, including ones who we've seen before, are saying, no, that's not right, to um, to being like, yeah, Judge Dredd, he's the only guy who can do this sort of thing. So uh, it there it's it's smart decisions. And it's also like there was some there was one character in here. It made me laugh like one of Dredd's partners is literally Judge Fodder. And he's like driving along with Dredd and gets killed like on the second page or something. Yeah, like immediately. That. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me is like, you know, it. It, it it's a joke, but part of what makes the joke funny is how much like all the other dr judges so frequently are just, you know, the, the dread equivalent of, of red shirts. Yes. Um, and so having characters that survive and move through, like I was, is really important. Like, even though I have absolutely no idea how the hell I remember where, why I should remember judge pepper when he suddenly gets shot as a result of the crime reality show and people are like on his, he more or less had voted to keep the show going over dreads objections. He's like, as I'm mortally wounded, I've decided to reverse my vote. Like that's both funny. And yet I also had a thing. I'm like, ah, judge pepper. Wait, what was judge pepper? He, he has yeah. a beard. Wait, before, where have right? I seen him before? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, is he, also in the day the law died, because I know I've seen that name, but I just don't remember where. But yeah, it helps it helps give like you said, there's a there's a continuity and the continuity starts to give a texture to it. And it's I guess it is interesting to me as a non reader, I mean a very light reader of Judge Dredd before now, um, getting that sense of like, oh right, like like Kind of the Dread is not a superhero comic, despite it being a, a comic about fighting bad guys um, and with the same character every week. And yet seeing the ways in which and and this is what I think is great. Is it for four years, which is kind of a long time for any character. As God, especially in today's comic marketplace, but even back then. Four years is a long time for you to kind of be like, oh, okay, here's a bit of a supporting cast and here's a bit of a, a, you know, a continuity. Like, I think that it's kind of smart that they were so slow in a way to introduce that, um, you know, and part of that may just have been like they were so busy having to try and throw shit at the wall that they just didn't have an opportunity to do that. But I also think that there was a little there was a long time of trying to figure out what this book should be. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what the fuck is Judge Dredd? Yeah. And because, yeah. you know, we talk about it being four years and but you've also got to consider like, you know, the first year was Wagner isn't present for the first you know quarter of the book. Right. Then there's the robot rebellion story. And you get Wagner sort of be like, oh, this could be a Judge Dredd story. Right. And then other characters are like, oh, maybe we can do versions of that. And then they're like, fuck, maybe not. Let's send them to space. Right. Then it comes to space. Let's send them to the cursed Earth. Now, okay, okay, let's let's try and okay, let's let's have the the all the judges are corrupt. Okay, sure, let's do that. Right. And you know, you're two years in before they're even like, what's a Judge Dread story though? Right. Right. Well, because it because it is it it's sort of a very odd. 
Well, I don't know. This is this is one thing where it's like having read um, some stuff, very limited amounts from before this of of British comics, like reading some of Mach One and reading a lot of Hookjaw and Shaco and stuff. There's a lot of um, there's British comics before then really didn't have like a lot at least the stuff I read wasn't really heavy on the characterization. No, it was no, very no, it was, much it was based because yeah. you had, you had no time, right? You would literally had like, you know, e- even pre to the day, especially you had yeah. like three pages to get in and get out. Right. Every- yeah. So there, there was such a kind of like, you had to come up with a florid visual hook or story hook or a bit of plot or something. But all of those hooks were very, really visceral. And so in a way, the characters always ended up, the central characters always ended up being not even ciphers. They were just usually like the stand up guy, you know, it's like the, the guy who's always feuding with the evil, uh, oil rig guy in Hookjaw. Like there's a, there's the honorable guy who's always like, you shouldn't do this. He's literally should just, his name could have been, voice o reason you know what i mean like yeah. and so there's not uh it, it it makes sense that dread starts in in a way in that mold but what's really fascinating is is after the initial tug of war between mills and wagner is over that there is how do i put it that although there's the opportunity to take and create a quote unquote um, deep character, uh, and I put that in quotes because, again, looking for looking at someone like Mills, pe- people are kind of looking to seventies Marvel comics as their template. Like, I'm, it's really to Dread's benefit that they go in a very different direction with it. But, mm-hmm. but it does start to open up some challenges in version four. You're like, well, what are we doing if we're just spinning our wheels and so it's like you kind of can't change dread you kind of can't change the story hook so you start putting more people in there that aren't just you know stereotypes being like mama mia why don't you like my pasta judge dread you know kind of thing um it's they're not really deep i can't really say that i had a very strong take on who Judge Hershey was at the end of Judge Child. But at the same mm-hmm. time, she somehow wasn't Red and wasn't Anderson and wasn't necessarily... She was not nobody, I guess. No, and, no, she is somehow individual. Even yeah. though if someone said, who's Judge Hershey? You'd be like, she's the black-haired judge? right. Exactly. It's like Judge Hershey is kind of at this point a haircut and a kind of a a voice of reason, you know, a, a voice of reason and a severe haircut. And where that's going to go from there, you have no idea. But at least in a weird way, it's a step above the cartoon clown grotesqueries that you're getting, you know, up until this volume, I feel everywhere else you know Mm -hmm. so 
Were there other characters you wanted to talk about? I know I only through reading Thrill Power Overload, like I loved the Graffiti War story and I love... Well, there's that, that's just it. There's yeah. Chopper. Yes, exactly. And Chopper is a big deal. But right. Chopper isn't a big deal for a while. Right. It's the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. Chopper is... Chopper gets introduced here. I won't say he comes back at some point in the next few years, but it's not for like another six years or so mm-hmm. the chopper gets a major storyline and after the oz story which is another 26 part story mm-hmm. chopper essentially leaves judge dread and goes off to become a solo star wow and is a dramatically different character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's so funny seeing him here mm-hmm. um chopper visually and to an extent his personality ties in for me with the buckley's Mm. Um, punk feels very present in this book yes uh, in a weird way that I feel is a couple of years too late first mm-hmm. of all mm-hmm. uh, and also much more about a visual than anything else mm. I think Ron Smith because Ron Smith draws that uh, the Midnight Surfer and the uh, sorry it's, it's not called Midnight Surfer Midnight Surfer is Chopper's second story mm. what is this story what is this story I think called? it might be just be called Graffiti Wars it's called Un-American Graffiti, is what uh, it's called. Oh, right, right. Thank you. Because, of course, it is. Yeah, it, it, Ron, uh, Ron Smith draws that. Ron Smith draws the Buckleys as well. And maybe it's just, like, his aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, there are the, the – there's, there's the over-the-top cartoonish spiky hair. Mm-hmm. There's the, the ugly, like, spotty characters. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels very punk, but not punk. If that makes sense. Well, even when when the Bob Oppenheimer block is nuked and you get this shot of the building melting down and there's a mushroom cloud and in the cloud it's captioned, welcome to the the apocalypse with this big, almost jaunty set of exclamation points. Like it's, yeah, it's clearly in there. And like you said, it's weird how much Dread feels like it was it, when it was started, it seemed like it well, could have been punk, but everyone insisted that it wasn't. And now that it kind of is, it's almost like it's weird how much it was prototypically punk before being punk. And now when it's sort of taking some of the punk accoutrements, I don't know. Do you feel that it, it runs thematically punk do you feel that there, there's no yeah like the, the, so for example the buglies feel like the flintstones version of punk does that make sense sure absolutely where it's it's like you know it's not punk apart from the, you know you imagine them showing up the flintstones and being like we're punks and then they'll play the song and the song will be like jing 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 and they'll be like oh we like snot and we like punk blah blah yeah, blah blah right. blah blah yeah you know and and it's it's just 100 percent not it, it's 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 the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, someone has looked at the visual and been like, oh, I get it. They've got a bad mood and they've got spiky hair. Punk. Right. Again, this stuff's coming out in like 81. Right. Punk right. is to all intents and purposes like over. Well, it has been it, for a while. It, in England. So, I mean, in not England, that that booch is a sign. These, these are British comics. I know. Yeah, exactly. it's British comics. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, where's the new romantic shit in yeah. these books? And the answer is probably nowhere to be found because the, the creators are, are too old. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But it's it's just – it's so strange that it feels so 
present, present in like a Bob Haney way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Which is funny because given their druthers, I feel Wagner and Grant, when left to their own, again, sort of mean alcoholic devices, are more naturally are punk. punk. Yes, are more punk when they're trying not to be punk than when anything is consciously tries to be punk in here. By exactly. The, yeah, yeah, which is amazing to look at because it's like, oh, yeah, oh, no. And you realize every time they're not trying to do it deliberately is when they're hitting it. Yeah, uh, like the 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 Fink story. Yeah, yes, right? yeah. feels feels punk in a way that like the quote unquote punk stories don't. Right, right. That's an excellent point, but it's clearly not. Like it's got so many other weird influences, but just the fact that the Fink has is like an ugly, emaciated cape uh, corpse corpse looking motherfucker with a bowler on and he has a hideous mutant rat who also has a bowler on is yeah but but also like the fink as a name yes like yeah. the idea that he is this like he is the scum of the earth yeah you know he was the angel brother who was buried for being too nice yeah. and has come out as something subhuman yep you know and stands outside of society yeah yeah. feels more punk that's true that than anything else mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a weird weird thing like the 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 attempts to be punk and maybe they aren't attempts to be punk maybe it really is ron smith's aesthetic mm -hmm. but it's it's like reading it now mm -hmm. like I, that's that's why i looked back at the publication dates of the book so i was like okay when did this stuff come out because right. it really feels like there is an attempt to be like you got you kids. Mm -hmm. We're we're done with you kids. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, you're not. You're wrong. It's 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 bad. And also, for that matter, like talking about punk influences when it's not supposed to be punk. Mm -hmm. The all the auto sump stuff, but especially the parody, the parody adverts, yes. or the the names of the products. Yeah, feel more quote unquote punk than right. the Buckleys or or. Or, or or chopper right you know yeah well yeah i i i've i agree with you i it's um it, so yeah one thing i do want to mention because i realized sorry i i meant to, to you know this is the jeff back on his bullshit section but my whole thing about the running thing about free will being uh throughout the volume like the chopper story ends where the chopper marlon shakespeare is a graffiti artist who ends up getting in a war with the phantom who is another graffiti artist who's the only one who seems at all capable of topping chopper uh when it comes to out doing his crazy um tagging and at the end of it it turns out that the phantom is an unemployed robot just the same way that Marlin is a youth who has nothing to to look forward to but unemployment himself. And essentially the robot like decides to kill himself rather than than go on and, and ends up tagging down the side of the building. And Chopper looking after him says in wonder, he's like, Is is that what people are? Are we robots too? And of course, Dredd says, "No, creep, you're a YP, and you're about to say hi. To, you're, you know, to go to the juvie cubes." 
And I love that, of course, Dread, like Dread, of course, would say that. You know what I mean? Like it's that it's a great answer that's a non-answer. But Marlin really is staring down the barrel of like, shit, is there, are we robots? Is there no free will? Is there no anything here? And uh, so anyway, yeah. Okay. Then let's go into where I was going. Would I be correct in saying that Midnight... Uh, it's a Midnight Chopper. I keep on wanting to call it Midnight <laughs> Surfer. It's not. It's not. It's an American graffiti. Yes. Is that your favorite storyline from this book? Like, what is your favorite arc? Honestly, I think it is going to be on American graffiti because I was sort of moving through this book because I had said sort of started and stopped and started and stopped. I managed to make it through... Pug Ugly, The Buggles, The Alien Way, Alone in a Crowd and everything. And then I, I had only 30 pages left to read. And, and I had to put the book down. I was like, okay, I'll come back to this today. You know, so I read the last chunk of it, which ended up being Un-American Graffiti and then some cover stuff. And Un-American Graffiti just struck me as like, oh, this is great. You know, because in part because it just sort of seemed so concise Um but I guess cohesive. There's lots of stuff that I did love throughout. I mean, I liked parts of, I liked, you know, Megway Madness honestly was too short, but I'm like, visually it's amazing. And again, I love the spaghetti Westernishness of the conclusion of Judd Child and the hungry planet, like, fuck. Like there's a lot of stories that are just tailored for the artist to be great, just great showcases, just stuff that's fun to look at and fun to draw. Like the fucking disappearing man by Boland is like, is, is crazy. It's sort of like a DC silver age story, but kind of on acid. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just a character that's disappearing in bits, but that he's on the world's most surrealist alien landscape where it's like buildings are like giant shoes and things, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, that's one of the two DC Silver Age things, the, the salesman story and during the Judge Child quest as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, so characters well. get shrunk down to, to be sold by an alien space. It's yes. like sales merchant is, yeah. is exceptionally DC Silver Age. Isn't I actually it? made yeah. a note of that. I, I put uh, back on Jeff's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so funny yeah no absolutely absolutely so i i dug i dug a lot of the stuff that um the adverts on the moon story is kind of a great it's little piece fun, right? yeah it's so it's so short looney's moon it's yeah. so short but it's actually really fun yes and i'm very Again, very anti-consumerist culture. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right on that. And But so like just it's just fun. The idea mm -hmm. that, you know, people get driven to to that point by you know, someone projecting adverts on the moon. Yes, which believe me, is kind of my idea of a nightmare, but then they just go all the way on it where they have someone get killed and it's literally projected on the moon. Like, just how crazy is that? There's that great little more or less done in one in the Judge Child story where it's the um, the story where Dread and this is actually this is this is very Eisner ish. 
the story of the what is it bugly the brave or whatever where it's told mm-hmm. in a song about yeah that, that's the blood that's the one i called black bulb earlier on because there's, there's he fights black bulb ah thank you thank you yeah 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 exactly very really eisnery and and very fun and there was a there was another one that had like that super great oh that whole weird it's only a two-part story but the thing about the body swapping and i mean it's there's so much jammed into two parts where it's like the president gets kidnapped and he's got it's actually a rock star's body but the body chips allow you to switch personalities in and out and then on top of it there's that crazy this is a colonized world and the aliens are the aliens are actually the indigenous natives are being treated like absolute shit and i mean it is and they that. cure racism jeff they cure racism in like two parts but it is it's kind of like part of me really enjoyed the both the moxie of it and kind of a little bit of the there that's done and it's on to the next but yeah it's it, it, you know the judge child's quest is the cursed earth mm-hmm. to all intents and purposes like mm-hmm. there is a there's a MacGuffin they're searching for and they're searching through lots of wacky adventures that aren't really connected to each other yeah, right. i think it's done much better Mm-hmm. I think it's much, and I know it's funny. I was rereading uh, Dread Reckoning, the the Douglas Wilkes blog about reading all the case files, and he is the opposite of me in this. He thinks that it's much more uneven mm-hmm. than Curse Earth. I think I think that Judge Child is much more coherent than the Curse Earth, to be honest with you, mm. uh, and and much more of a a piece, mm-hmm. but. Very quickly, there's two things in Judge Child that really stick out to me. The computer that goes mad yes. uh, and like, lured them in is obviously like Hal from 2001. That's but right. But officially, he is Max from a later Wagner and Grant strip mm. called The 13th Floor. Like, oh, right. It's, it's the same visual, mm-hmm. which is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biochips in the story you were just talking about, like within like a year – becomes the basis of Rogue Trooper in 2008. Of course. Of course it does. Right, right. You know, and I was like, shit, they're literally just throwing out ideas that will go on to become other strips. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of amazing. You're right. Like, genuine kind of amazing to be like, oh, that's where that came from. That's amazing. Well, you know, and, and yeah. at the same time, you know, Wagner and Grant are doing uh, Robohunter, are doing a trucking company, are doing like all these other strips mm-hmm. that is just wacky to me mm-hmm. like their level of output is incredible yeah yeah no absolutely one of the things that's really fun about this volume is it's it's the it's a volume where i started seeing stuff where i'm like oh i recognize that from pop culture and realizing like i'm completely wrong like the number of times where i like um googled the names of um the people on on the blocks and being like oh so they took the name of a guitarist and then i'm like wait this guitarist started in the 90s he took his name from this thing i think you know or yeah there's the weird throwaway story uh called the alien way which is um where where dread ends up having a ride along with an alien that is kind of weirdly bloodthirsty and keeps getting in his way and finally dread more or less like 
throws him, you know, does something like arrests him and ends up causing an international intergalactic incident. I'm like the, I was like, are they riffing on that Michael J. Fox, James Woods movie, the hard way where Michael J. Fox is like an actor who ends up. And then I look at, I look at it. I'm like, no, that was in 91. Did that, like, that mean the hard way ripped off the alien way? I kind of think that it did, which seems again, seems That's weird amazing. and odd. And yeah. sometimes it's just maybe, you know, that one, it seems very weirdly explicit, but like the end of, uh, of un-American graffiti where chopper more or less gets hauled off. And yet you see his brilliant little piece of, of triumphant graffitiism. Like part of me is like, man, I feel like this got bit for the end of attack the block. Like there's little bits and pieces where I'm like, this feels really familiar to me in a way that's like, I don't know if it's like dread stuff that came before it, or it start it's bit starting to become things that people have lifted or bit from after it. And so it's, it's a weird kaleidoscope in that way. It's kind of dizzying for me. It's strange to think of the ways in which dread has informed culture that we don't realize for yeah. a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But seems nonetheless, like very much the case before we, we wrap things up and I do want to move to wrapping things up or we're getting near two hours. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about very quickly pirates of the black Atlantic. Which mm-hmm. is a four-parter towards the second half, uh, in the second half of the book, but towards the the sort of midpoint of that half. Yes. Um, which is the the nuclear, you know, storyline. Mm-hmm. But it's also setting up apocalypse war. Yes. And that like really stood out to me this time because mm-hmm. it feels very much like a throwaway story. Yes. Until you get to the nuclear explosion and then there is an element of like will you stop nuking parts of mega city one because this is the second time parts of mega city one's been nuked mm-hmm. like it happened in the last volume or maybe volume uh two right um but here it's played up as like a really dramatic thing mm-hmm. as opposed to before it's like ah this is funny oh we nuked them oh what you gonna do right um this is very dramatic and then when they find out that it's 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 from Mm-hmm. you know the soft block mm-hmm. they they're like well we have to we have to retaliate and the retaliation scares the soviets into into blowing up like i said nuking part of their own uh, part of soft block right but it ends on a cliffhanger that I, I mean i've read this a lot of times and i it was this time i was like oh that's literally going the apocalypse war is coming in less than a year right 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 like, well, it literally ends with the Soviets being like, one day we will have a war with you. Yes. And you should fucking watch out. Yeah. No, one of the things that I think is fabulous is because there's so much material in it, like you said, the groundwork's been laid. We've seen the soft block before. We've seen the tensions with them. Like, there's weirdly a genuinely Cold War aspect to 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 the battle between the judges and the Sov judges and and what's great about it is is that idea of like it may not come to anything or it may end up being like again this major event which it clearly is going to end up being which which is what's so Mm -hmm. wonderful about the pirates of the black atlantic 
Yeah. Like it, the way it ends is at once a cliffhanger, and uh, maybe it's not going to come to anything, right? Because it's the same page where you have the Soviets go, "We can't afford a war," right? And then threaten to have a war, yeah. And so you're like, "Where is this going? Like, is this going anywhere?" Because then it immediately goes off onto other stories for the rest right. of the book. Yeah, yeah. But it's so funny reading it, knowing that like the next volume is Apocalypse War. Mm-hmm. You know, in the next volume, it is genuine carnage. Yeah. Well, and that uh, one of the things that I am in awe of with uh, Grant and Grant slash uh, Wagner or Wagner and Grant is is how much the things like the I think Wagner is extraordinarily good at the at the fake out. Like you never necessarily know when it's coming, but like, you know, it struck me like there's a few points in. Uh, the day the law died or the judge Cal stuff where it's like, oh, this is where the story ends. And it's kind of almost like where it just sort of starts where it starts. But, you, you know, it's one thing that you can tell when it's like a mega epic, you know, mega prog. And it's another thing when it's just one little story among, you know, literally dozens of others. Uh, and, 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 Maybe he'll pick it up and run with it, but you don't know. And what's kind of nice is it has that weird sort of, it's kind of like life. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a weird realism to it because yeah. you can't tell. And we said this, I think, last time. Mm-hmm. You can't tell when something is important or not. Yes. Just like in real life. Whereas weirdly in the the super, in the more insular worlds of superhero continuity, like kind of every bit of the buffalo gets used there's very little stuff that ends up being thrown away and therefore everything kind of has a oh okay this is going to come back somehow but there's so much stuff with dread that is clearly just you know half-assed having a laugh you know and and that's how what's what's great about pirates of the black atlantic is how much that starts off like that and then doesn't become it and then kind of swings back to being it again and then ends up not like it ends up very far from where it started and with what your expectations would be. And, and it's really, it's kind of nice. It's, it's like watching a really talented pitcher in a baseball game. You have no idea when they're going to break out the curveball. You don't know what they're going to throw over the plate but you know you you know there's in theory only so many options but their ability to keep it mixing keep mixing it up and keep you guessing is part of part of what makes the game pop i guess mm-hmm. um pirates pirates is maybe upon reflection my favorite story in this volume mm. uh, or maybe the fink because yeah. the fink is just so it's just so compressed and so focused and it's yeah. wonderful and and honestly it's it's uh, it's based around a compelling antagonist, which I think I really do think this volume gets really good at. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I think you could sort of argue that Judge Death is like the most famous antagonist, and he's in the previous volume, right? But I, I think this volume overall is much better with the bad guys. Um, but also, I like that it ends on a happy ending because mm-hmm. the rat gets a happy ending because in Mega City One, the humans don't, but the yes. animals do. Yeah, that's which true. I. I I find weirdly lovely, you know, <laughs> I do. There's, yeah. there's something about 
because this kind of ties in with remember last time we had the the talking cat story yes yeah um i like this weird accidental trend of the humans don't deserve happy endings but the animals kind of do (laughs) and so the animals get them yes yeah that's that's a great way to put it you know that that really appeals to me i really like that Mm. um so yeah it, it might be the finger it might be the Pirates of the Black Atlantic, mostly because of what the Pirates of the Black Atlantic sets up. Right, right. You Which know? I can see. Well, I, I can see why you would pick it. And knowing sort of what I know but don't know, I'm like, I would be inclined in a way to do the same. But yeah, fortunately, just my... My naive approach, well, I'm like... Well, that's, I mean, that's just it. Like, Pirates, mm-hmm. of, the, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Black Atlantic doesn't deserve it based on its own merits. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is wildly uneven. It does go from one extreme to the other and back again. Right. It, it, it's feel like it does. It starts off feeling like filler. It's kind of ridiculous. But knowing that, that it really is setting up the Apocalypse War... And, Honestly, that I missed that the first few times I read it. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, that I'm like, oh, fuck, of course it is. Like, it's right. close enough. Right. Well, very often I'm like, well, that obviously ties in. But right. it's not setting up because this happened, you know, so far in advance. And I don't think Wagner and Grant planned that far ahead. But right. this time I was like, you know, it probably is less than six months away. Mm-hmm. They probably are seeding it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. I also do have to say, I like Skank. Uh, the pirate as a villain, like his weird, he looks like you said, I think Ron Smith designs him and he looks fabulous. And then this crazy ass thing of his mother being this weird mutant squid is great. Or maybe it's an octopus, but this, you know, how he keeps referring to it as mother and the, this, you know, first mate is like, uh, you know, the, he can't really be, you know, the mother. She can't really be the mother, but, you know, I dare you to find two people that are closer. It, it's uh, it's interesting. I'll be, I, I want to keep an eye open for the whether Wagner and Grant return to this well of here's here's a crazy villain, but they're also sort of a devoted family person. Cause that is one of the weird things going on with the angel gang is how proud Pa angel is of junior for being an absolute utter psychopath. But like, but Pa angel really does love him. And the way in which Pa is a weirdly devoted father to his kids and he wants them to be the best by which we literally mean the worst. So, you know, that following that up with a pirate that has a, a mutant squid for a mom, it's like... You're like, on board. Yes, I, please. Yes, please. More of this, and how much more is this going to be like, oh, here's the devoted family person who's like a complete shit, you know? It'll be interesting. Would you say this is the uh, volume that people should start with? Are you still sticking with volume three? Do you think that, that this is this is not complete enough? You know, I I think I'm currently I'm still leaning toward volume three because, like I said, like you know, I feel like we've spent hours talking very excitedly about volume four, but it still felt like a slog. It still it, it felt... felt like a come down based on, uh, yeah. from before. I think. Yeah. I think so too. 
I think it, it in part because between changing up between the you know the mega prog with with Judge Child, but also the change up on everything else, it just for whatever reason, and maybe some of the, my ratings are based on how hard a week or a couple of weeks that I had. I feel like three went down super easy um, with a good clean finish, and I feel like four is is a super rewarding volume if you're already on board. But otherwise I would think it would be kind of, um, it, it, it reminds me the volume four very much reminds me of the judge dread material that I read when I was a teenager and decided that I wasn't really into judge dread, you know? Yeah, um, I can see that. And so it's really hard for me to be like, yes, this is what you should start with. But, you know, it really depends on who you are. If you're kind of into trying to imagine what it would be like if Herman Melville was a comic book writer, then by all means, jump in with volume four of the Judge Dredd Complete Case Files. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, next time we do a truck, it is going to be the Apocalypse War. And it's wow. going to be arguably like the first really major mega epic right i, I think judge child quest is kind of important and it's i i should say like, again with my teases of of things to come mm-hmm. uh the fact that judge dread happens in real time mm-hmm. and the fact that judge phase prediction is 19 years in the future does mean that we get to to 2120 yeah and we get to see whether he was right or not mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because Wagner remembers is something mm-hmm. that's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and also I should say we've not seen the last of the Judge Child either. I, I'm kind of curious. I would love to. I can't wait for the character to come back in a way. Um, so yeah, you know, the, those two things are are fun, especially because vague spoilers: the Judge Child returns in a mega epic that even Wagner and Grant got bored of. <laughs> And that they end early. They wow. famously end early. Jesus. Um, and it, it, weirdly enough, like, I love it because of that. Mm. You'll know it when you see it, Jeff. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, it, it's fun. I, li- I like the Judge Childs a lot, but I think you're right. I'm not sure it's, it's the one to jump in on just because it is so out there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, next time, Apocalypse War and some more of more of the same in a good way mm-hmm. I, I think i think volume five is stronger than volume four i'm really excited to see what you think jeff yeah i'm very much looking forward to it i have to say there will be show notes for this episode up uh we'll see when because i would say like monday question mark but monday's also a holiday which means i'm not going to be in front of the computer all day so we'll see yeah tuesday's That's, probably good like it might be tuesday mm-hmm. sorry guys but the, the, there you go um, there will be show notes up at some point anyway at waitwhatpodcast.com while you're waiting for those you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod you can check out our Tumblr waitwhatpod yeah com, <laughs> and you can check out our Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast it's the fact that one of them is podcast and the other two are waitwhatpod always throws me yeah um, Jeff is on Twitter at solo at lazybastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. 
I think I misspelled my name again. I'm going to try that again. No, I think you got it uh, right, but yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, it's G R A E M E M. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, do you happen to know that we're a Patreon supported podcast? Why, so I've heard, Graham, and I have to say that uh, it's a darn good thing that we are because not only is this very podcast the result of um, hitting stretch goals uh, on our Patreon account. Uh, as well as our previous read-through, the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, immortalized in our Baxter Building podcast, which you can retrieve. Uh, but thanks to all of our listeners, um, you know, we managed to keep doing this. Uh, you know, we've got some news to talk about in June that we're looking forward to sharing, but let's just say that even Graham and I are... Uh, surprised and horrified by how long we've been doing this. And that is, um, we really do owe it all to you listeners, but we are super grateful to the people at Patreon for throwing us a little bit of the mega city creds to keep us uh, excited and motivated and as a way to show their gratitude. Super grateful to them. We are deeply uh, grateful and indebted to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for uh, her continuing support of this podcast. And, uh, you know, because without her, the necromancer would have run amok and killed us all long ago. Graham? Let's just be glad that we're not dead. Let's just... Add that as an ender to all of our podcasts. Indeed. And we're going to be back next week with uh, with a regular way what? There's a lot to talk about. God, yes. We haven't done a regular way what in a long time. Yeah. And maybe you've noticed the news. A lot's been happening. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, we're, we have a lot to talk about next time. That will be a week from now. Until then, Jeff, you're going to sing us out because I, it's a joke. Indeed I am. So allow me in my mellifluous way to say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. <laughs>